Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Hello. We, we just knocked a piece of glass off with that clank. Dude, we clinked so fucking <laughs> That was like a perfect clank. <laughs> that tells you how ready for this podcast we are. It's yeah. the sixth day. The sixth day. Boy, I got to make sure I drink not on the chipped part yeah, of the glass. Don't cut your little lippy. Yeah, welcome to the sixth day, the great Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the year 2000. Oh, boy. What did God create on the sixth day? Man, perhaps. Man. <laughs> <laughs> shall we listen to the trailer? Let's, we shall. Let's we shall. <laughs> There's been a sixth day violation. We won't have to lose our best people. We will finally be able to conquer death. A human was cloned. That human was you. Kind of takes the fun out of being alive, doesn't it? Tell me why I'm a threat. The Supreme Court upheld the laws against human cloning. Why kill me and not the clone? You saw him. He didn't see you. Daddy? The trailer song of the era. (laughs) So millennial. Oh my God. It really was the most millennial movie ever made. (laughs) Okay, so a lot of silliness in this movie, but a lot of good stuff. Yeah, from the writers of Bad Boys 2, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, the (laughs) National Treasure movies, The Shaggy Dog starring Tim Allen. Oh my God. Wow, that's quite an eclectic. I was going to say, like, (laughs) we got some pretty bad sequels happening, and then Shaggy Dog. Okay. The National Treasure movie, the first one, it's okay, right? It's a ball. I do know that they changed the name from the sixth day, like spelled out, to the number sixth day because (laughs) Uh they didn't want it to get confused with the sixth sense, which came out before, and that was a big hit. Like, this is the sequel to the sixth sense? This time (laughs) it's a day. They're going to be like, I'm not sure. Where's Haley Joel? (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. The director's also done Turner and Hooch. Stop or my mom will shoot. Love. And Tomorrow Never Dies, the one of the Pierce Brosnan oh, Bond gotcha, movies. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. And Schwarzenegger received a salary of $25 million for this movie, which it did not, like, I mean, it made $13 million in its opening weekend, but, oh, like, wow. it wasn't, like, a hit. Right, no, it was most, <laughs> he, ah, but it's Schwarzenegger, man. Yeah. Big uh, name. Realizing that he was, like, a couple of years out from being governor at this point was so right. weird. I mean, it's all bizarro to kind of think back on, mm-hmm. like, if only we'd known how things would transpire yeah so this movie's interesting it opens up with like a quote from genesis right Mm -hmm. i forget what it was but you know on the sixth day god created man something (laughs) well because it was it actually says in the near future and then that goes away and comes in with sooner Sooner than than you think. think you're like oh yeah you that's what i near future no but like it's sooner than just near Joya. <laughs> like next year, you guys. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to quickly mention that it earned three Razzie nominations for Schwarzenegger, which was 
worst actor as the real Adam, worst supporting actor as the clone of Adam, and worst screen couple for him and the clone of himself. Ah, so like Pluto Nash. Yeah, I was thinking really like bad. the Razzies must be looking at for any opportunity to have like uh, both of you were yeah. in the movie and you both of you so sucked. Bad. What we were saying, like watching Arnold Schwarzenegger pretend to be a family man with the cake mm. and the birthday party stuff, I was like, I don't buy it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't smile and laugh. No, no. So when we were doing Pluto Nash, we were talking about this cloning and that you can clone your dog. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge element of this movie because he goes to repet. Right, right. Not recall. Mm, oh my god uh-huh was that winky Did well, they mean i don't uh, right I like mean, total repet to me yeah exactly <laughs> total repet so he goes to repet and he's like i don't know if i should get this pet and we talked about this company called viagen yeah. which for fifty thousand dollars will clone your dog well, well, real quick because like their their family dog dies right and he's sent to go get the clone but it's supposed to be casual enough that he could just swing by repet yeah it's at the mall or right. something yeah, totally. oh yeah because he's ends up getting her this lifelike doll if right. you want to call it lifelike which <laughs> was the most terrifying uncanny valley child's doll i've ever seen no worst. kid would not be terrified right. by this machine yeah and, uh, although some of the fucking like toys they had for kids back in the day i'm like that's a baby some doll of them you were look really like scary you're right that's a good point <laughs> so now you can do this there's a company called viagen which for fifty thousand dollars you can clone your dog and for half of that you can clone your cat and so oh, we, we kind of scratched the surface on this. I wanted to look a lot deeper. The first commercially cloned pet was a cat named Little Nicky, oh. produced in 2004 by a company called Genetic Savings and Clone. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. They Enough punishment. <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh. <laughs> they closed down in 2006, <gasps> and Little Nicky, other than being an Adam Sandler movie, right. Was a <laughs> clone of a 19-year-old Maine coon named Nikki, who had died in 2003. Okay. And apparently the cat showed no negative side effects from the cloning. Oh, my God. You now, the Humane Society denounced the cloning, saying that the $50,000 spent on the cat could have been better used to save the millions of animals that are euthanized totally. every year. Right, sure. But defenders of pet cloning argue that the animals involved are treated humanely. It makes people happy. There's a demand for it. It will contribute to scientific and veterinary medical knowledge, mm -hmm. and it'll help efforts to preserve endangered species that are like similar to dogs and cats. Sure, of course. But there's clearly a dilemma because there's no question that if you choose to clone your dog instead of rescue a dog, the rescue dog goes without a home. Exactly. You know? Well, and that's essentially what I was saying during the Pluto Nash episode, mm -hmm. was like, if there weren't millions and millions of animals right. that needed homes or were being neglected or abused or all of these sorts of things, then, you know, maybe I would be okay with that. But right. kind of the same thing when I see families that have like eight, nine kids right. or whatever. It's We've like, talked about this before. We're sort of like, how about all the other There's children a lot of children that need. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's hard for me to get on my little high horse and say, how dare you do this? Because I understand it makes people happy, but there's right. a lot of fucking stupid things that make people happy. <laughs> that, like, right, right. For the greater good that I'm not sure. It's just like, how do you legislate that? I yeah. Suppose. So to clone a pet, they take a tissue sample from the inside of the cheek or the inside of the abdomen, mm -hmm. whichever is better. Mm -hmm. Then they convert that into how a. How would they do that? They, I think the through like endoscopic is surgery. That, is that butt? That's I, that's the throat. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, how do they get to the abdomen? Through the butt. Through the butt. Oh, I was thinking 
know, they used to take temperature. Which way is closer? They take the temperature through the butt. Yeah, I didn't they know do. They could like do a little swab I think they go through the throat. Gotcha. Okay. But Makes they sense. can also do it from the inside of the cheek. Then they convert that into a culture with the DNA, which is then injected into an unfertilized egg, which was taken from a surrogate. Mm -hmm. Then the oh. embryo develops and is inserted back into the surrogate. And nine weeks later, a cloned litter of one to four animals is born. So in that case, the DNA of the surrogate doesn't matter? The DNA that they inject into it takes over the whole organism. Gotcha. Okay. So that's like the difference between regular reproduction and this cloning reproduction is that they're actually having the DNA that they're inserting be the complete DNA Understood. Set. Understood. And that is different than like a surrogate mother in human life, right? Like is... Well, a surrogate mother in human life has no DNA involved in. So the... it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I always thought that was a little weird. I'm like, I understand you guys ha can't have kids, but then you're gonna let this other woman right. be the. <laughs> well, no, because she, yeah, it's their DNA, the both of the parents' right. DNA. She's just the incubator. Oh God. Okay. All mm -hmm. right. All right. And then a cloned animal is like more similar to the original than like a brother or a sister, but it's on average as similar as an identical twin. Okay. So I read this story of an old man who says he loves his 10-year-old dog and he can't imagine spending his final years without him. Mm -hmm. And so he had the dog cloned. Mm -hmm. And he said, we took a family vote and my son said, at least you're spending your money on something you love. Totally. Mm -hmm. After getting the dog cloned, he said the color patterns were identical and that they had very similar personality traits. Mm -hmm. And his clone actually made it home before the old dog had died. Ugh. And he said when they <gasps> met, they acted like long lost friends and uh, they were following each other around. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a picture of the old dog playing tug of war with his puppy clone. Fucking fuck fuck. <laughs> that is wild. Okay. Two things here. First of all, we had acquiesced that point that it's like if you're an old person, right. look, my father's 87 years old this year. I'm mm -hmm. kind of like, you want to go to McDonald's every single day and get a cinnamon bun? <laughs> right. Do your thing, you right. know, whatever's going to make you happy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that gives me like super meta weird feelings to see like yeah. old dog, new dog. Can an old dog teach the new dog some tricks? I know. Well, <laughs> here, let, let me ask you a really tough ethical question okay. here. Would you consider raising a clone of yourself? Hell yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, I think that's why I didn't have like negative feelings. It just got me thinking like, whoa, right. it's that classic question of if you were able to go back and talk to yourself and teach them or like impart right, right. some wisdom to a, a joya of your, would you? Yeah. It's like, do you think you would be a better parent to yourself than your parents were to you? Because well, yeah. you know what you yeah. would like? Yeah. Or I, would you maybe be a worse parent for having that? I'm not quite sure. I, yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. Perhaps I would be a better parent in the sense that I would maybe know how to communicate to myself. Yeah. My brain does work differently than mm -hmm. my parents did. I'm a super neurotic weirdo. Like, there might be a way for Joya now to be able to go back to, like, suicidal insecure Joya of middle school time and be like, dude, right. I swear to God. It's going to be okay. <laughs> right. Like, I know it seems impossible right now, but look at these fucking clouds. <laughs> They've peaked now. You know? <laughs> like all these popular kids, this is the best they're ever going to look. You yeah, know? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm teasing. But, but, but sort of that kind of thing of like who knows you better than you know right. yourself. Well, like in a weird way, that may make the nurture aspect of nature versus nurture better if mm -hmm. we were to go down that road. Mm -hmm. But the other element is like, 
the combination of multiple types of DNA is what led us as a species to flourish. Right, and right. so the idea that we would basically stop evolving our DNA mm. and start just cloning ourselves and making each iteration right. of ourselves better but not different. Right. That's like, I don't know. You know, there's so many things to consider because right. you're upending the basic nature of how genetic preservation like, like, goes on. biology. Exactly. Totally. So That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I'm it's, not quite. What do you guys? What do you guys think? think? <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to pets, like hundreds of dogs and cats have been cloned over the last ten years, and people seem to be really happy with the results. That is wild. But in the future, it might be like you have the same pet your entire life, right? And every like ten to twelve years, it like rises like a phoenix from We're, the ashes, sure. and you know well, you get a new one in the mail. We talked about this point before we need to know how to deal with grief we need to know how to move on in our lives and i think it is like putting a halt on this whole evolution of right thought and being able to deal with certain things but also it's not really the same pet over and over it's like buddy mark seven Mm -hmm. you know each time you do mourn the loss of that pet and then you get a new pet that's just like the other one. Right. I mean, again, it's that question of like individual happiness versus on a whole, like it, yeah. we, with less and less. I mean, it's like, it already breaks right. my heart how many there are. I'll come back to that point. I just. No, it, <sighs> it is insane when people learn like how many dogs are put to death every year. Yeah. It's every day. Every it's day. It's fucking yeah. absurd. However you want to measure it. Right. <laughs> day, year. So, but you're saying like th- this is actively happening. Why isn't this like publicized more? Is it that we're it, not There have or? been articles about it. It's just we're not like as tuned in. And because yeah. it's still like $50,000, it's like. Right. Fucking know. one year at Sarah Lawrence was $50,000, dude. I did that for <laughs> yeah, four years. We Exa- did that for four years right. in a row. Like, exactly. God damn. But yeah. it's going to be eventually like truly affordable. Like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, where you're, I mean, I think it's $1,600 right now for a genetic preservation kit, but that may be the price of a full clone one day. Sure. I mean, sure. that's like the price of an actual dog. Uh, if you go for to like a breeder, yeah, sometimes like they're $1,000, yeah. you know, sometimes a lot more. Which I think is bogus too. I know that that's not the point, right. but I get, you know, I'll, I'll get judgy all day long. I'm like, well, every dog I've had is a mutt from like a fucking right. shelter. <laughs> I, I went and did research on a on responsible breeders uh-huh. and went to a responsible breeder, but I totally understand the logic that what I've done is not really the best mm. thing. Yeah. And cloning and breeders are kind of compared to yeah, each other as like that. a similar kind of... Well, I'm thinking about like the teacup animals right teacup yeah poodles, like the teacup uh, designer Yorkshire's. dogs or whatever they're called well i know that like the reason that airlines no longer allow snub-nosed dogs on their planes is that like some huge percentage of the dogs that were dying on airplane flights were that type because of they dog had, like, weird nasal issues yeah because yeah. we bred them yeah. to not be able to fucking breathe, breathe. yeah it's oh crazy. wow so i think this is honestly like it's all kind of combined. I mean, people mm-hmm. might be like clones. What? 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 But it's like we've been we've been messing around. with yeah. you know we've been Nazis about breeding <laughs> dogs for years. <laughs> but so to, to get back to this idea of like the same dog over multiple generations, is it interesting or is it weird that you would have the same basic dog experience that you knew your grandparents or your great grandparents had? You know? Um. Like. I guess it would be. What was that dog that my grandmother had like? Yeah. And it's like, well, I know exactly what she had. But like. at the same point, these days they have a lot of like old timey photographs that they're able to color treat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it at least seems more real. And I still look at it and I'm like, 
Still doesn't seem. I yeah, can't, I don't know. I, it's inaccessible to me. I can't. You know what I mean? So well, it might. That's not. where, like, yeah, I really think with we've talked about this before. The idea that like cameras being so common now, they're actually capturing these realistic moments like, rather than like smile as opposed to like right. I've been posing for forty five minutes exactly. while you're setting up. It's, yeah, it's just or like a oh, there's vibe. a camera here. It's very uh, unusual. Let me make sure my behavior is correct. Right. Or yeah, is look like at this now. posed candid here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were asking some other questions about like what you might think if like. Like a clone of you were to show up and be like, hey, shit's going down. I need your help. Right. And like, do you think that you would be understanding if a clone of you came up to you right now and was like, I need your help? Or would you see her as a threat? Right. Okay. I feel like there's so many steps that would happen before. It's like, I'm a very like seeing is believing person and stuff. Uh And obviously we learn on this podcast that like seeing is not always believing. But if like Joya came up to me and was like, I know this is crazy. I'd be like, no, you had me at. You had Whoa. me at your face. <laughs> you had me at what's up? Because that's like, what I would say. I mean, we're in this together. <laughs> I guess there's the difference. Like in the sixth day, he comes home and right. a clone of himself is like stealing his family. Right. So it's one of those like that inner ego, like the only I can be my, my life. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I think there'd be so much more at play, right? Right. Than just like whether it's a threat or well, like, in the this movie, benevolent. he very quickly does get on board with his clone. He's <laughs> right. like, he's like, D- we don't have time for you to be weird right now, right. and he's like, I- I'm on board. All right. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There'd probably be a lot of like jinxing, like jinx ten, you owe me a pop, Joya. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you were also saying like if you were told that you were a clone, that you would not feel as connected to the experiences you thought you had as you would if you were the actual person. Well, we've talked about before, our memories are just series of electric impulses right, that have happened, right. right? So like, yeah, you could theoretically build a a clone that had those memories but there's something about that like physically being there Mm -hmm. that I'm like maybe it's not something that you can measure but it seems like if you were actually there that's more substantial than if you remembered being there but if I like told you right now Mm -hmm. that you were cloned on Saturday Mm -hmm. and you're the clone Mm -hmm. and all of those experiences that you know that you had up until like this second Mm -hmm. I told you you didn't actually experience Mm -hmm. does that actually change it for you Because you, in this moment, like before I told you you were cloned on Saturday and you're the clone, you thought that those experiences were just as real as the other Joya would. I mean, maybe it's the difference between like a distant memory and a near memory because hmm. it's like I think of some of the things that happened when I was a kid I know they happen but they don't feel real right, they, like they feel like, feel like they happen to somebody me. else especially yeah. because like so many of our early memories I feel like it's just a game of fucking telephone that our parents told mm-hmm. us as opposed to if I burned my finger on the stove last week like there's something about that that feels more visceral now mm. this is me just like explaining it away I want to say yes but it I don't have any reason to say that except for like the emotional connection between like physically going to the Grand Canyon and someone telling you that you went to the Grand Canyon. I think for me, if I found out that I was a clone and that none of my experiences were things I actually had, it wouldn't change the the realness of them to me. It it might Mm. like over time as that like sinks in and I see that as something that somebody else did. But you would just be like, cool, interesting. All right. Well, I I, I mean, it would affect me deeper than that. But (laughs) I would be like, I don't think that I would agree. Like I didn't experience those things. And so I don't I don't feel as connected to those experiences, Mm. if that makes any sense. You know, I don't know how neurons are built and memories and everything in your brain. And Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that you could, like, deal with and get over. But it would make me feel like I lost some street creds in <laughs> life street cred. Okay, so we're talking about 
pets right now. But in a real life context, has there, there hasn't really been much study on like actual human cloning, right? Have you did you see anything like well, that? Well, as far as the legality of human cloning, mm-hmm. as of 2015, about 70 countries had banned research into reproductive human cloning, which mm-hmm. is full clones rather than organ clones. Mm-hmm. Oh, There's okay. a lot more research into like how we could clone an organ rather than a full human. In the United States, we haven't passed any bans on human cloning, but there have been a bunch introduced into Congress which haven't passed, and 15 individual states have banned reproductive cloning. Gotcha. Okay, in the movie, they, they talk about how human cloning is banned. It's so interesting how we, like, strike our ethical I know, lines. We're I like, know. pets, yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. humans, were just untouchable. Well, they also mention in the movie, like, we cloned salmon, and so we were able to feed all these people yeah. in the world. And that's a whole other element. Fucking GMO style, man. Right. I also had that moment where it was like, oh, you cloned fish, huh? Like Jesus with three fish. You <laughs> oh, fed yeah. so many. Fucking Genesis Town, USA. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the Human Genome Project. Yes, please. Are you familiar at all? A little bit. Okay. For those of you who don't know, the Human Genome Project was an international research program that basically just achieved a complete mapping and understanding of all the genes of Homo sapiens. So all of our genes together is called a genome. So a genome is just a complete set of DNA. How do you say that? Deoxyribonucleic? How do you say it? Deoxyribonucleic acid. Hey-yo! Okay. So back in the early 1950s, these two scientists studied DNA using x-rays, and they were able to produce an x-ray photograph that allowed two other researchers, James Watson and Francis Crick, to work out the 3D structure of the DNA. And that's when they discovered it to be the famous double helix. Mm-hmm. If you look at our cover art, you'll see a double oh, helix yes. that turns into a film strip. That's the idea. DNA that we're that's talking about. a thing! <laughs> <laughs> DNA is just the hereditary material or genetic instructions, if you will, of all multicellular organisms. They're made up of four chemical units called nucleotide bases, which form the rungs of the DNA ladder. These okay. are the letters, the four letters? Exactly. So the bases are adenine. I don't know if it's adenine or adenine. Adenine. For A. Thymine for T, guanine G, and cytosine C. Now, all genes are made up of stretches of these four bases, and they're just arranged in different ways and in different lengths. But It's so cool to think about it like computer code is like all broken down into an on or an off and right. all is DNA that zero, is one, like one is, it's I don't one know or zero okay, yeah. and then with DNA it's like one two three and four yeah and the, like you just make and any combination just pairs of, of that mm-hmm. yeah exactly so and then the opposite strands always pair specifically so like an A always pairs with a T and a C always pairs with a G mm-hmm. now early on the main goals of the human genome project were first articulated in 1988 by, by a special committee of the US National Academy of Sciences they later adopted this project through a series of like five-year plans with the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy. So, like, U.S. government was on board with this yeah. at first. Well, I remember it was a big push from Clinton, too, in the 90s. Was like Yeah, yeah, because they definitely, like, a lot of their strides were made in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, like, at the time, the principal goal was just a complete version of the human sequence. They just wanted to see what it looked like. A full map. Right. So they also wanted to map and sequence model organisms, including those of mice and, you mm-hmm. know, some of these other animals that we test on, right? Now, April 14th, 2003 is when the National Human Genome Research Institute, the Department of Energy, and their partners in the International Human Genome Sequencing Consortium announced that they had finally completed a successful mapping of the human genome. So this can actually be compared to Apollo, like the Apollo mission, bringing humanity to the moon. It Mm -hmm. was like the beginning of a lot, because we're like, whoa, I had no idea what's what's going (laughs) on, right? The human genome contains approximately 3 billion of these base nucleotide pairs, the A, G, C, T thing. Uh Those base pairs hang out in 
pairs of chromosomes within the nucleus of our cells. Now, there are 22 chromosomes that are not having to do with the sex of the organism, right? So like somatic cells, which are cells of the body versus of the mind, they usually have one copy of chromosomes 1 through 22 from each parent. Mm -hmm. And then there's an X chromosome from the mother and either an X or Y chromosome from the father. So there's 23 pairs, 46 total. Now, each chromosome contains hundreds to thousands of genes which carry the instructions for making proteins. The Human Genome Project revealed that there are probably about 20,500 human genes. What's cool is before the initial predictions of how many genes there were were like 100,000 or more. Really? So, yeah. So because of advanced information about the structure and organization and like these different techniques, the genes keep getting lowered. They could actually be lowered from here as the technology becomes more sophisticated. Like fewer genes to make up a complete human kind of yeah. thing? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Did you actually look into like whose genome they sequenced? It was just volunteers. Interesting. Yeah, they did like blood tests and that kind of thing, but they were very specific to protect their identity and okay. kind of keep it on the down low, right? Because like now with 23andMe and stuff like that, you right, can just send right. off your DNA. Fucking and, swab your cheek right. and go for it. And like a couple of years ago, they had to crack down on 23andMe because they were offering medical information that, that isn't like well oh. enough researched to okay. be for them to be allowed to do that. So they had to pull back how much information they're actually giving to people when right. you get your DNA sequence. But it is effectively the same thing where it's like, what is your genome? Yeah. But the first, right. like, in the 90s, we had to be like, what is the genome? Right, yeah, exactly. Of it just was just volunteers? Like human, yeah, totally. Wow. Well, yeah, and they were trying to keep it diverse population of people, but they mm. were trying to keep it anonymous. But then, yeah, all of these findings are, like, publicly available, right. which is interesting. So why does this matter, right? It's one thing to understand, but, like, how could we put this to use? Having this kind of sequence and knowing what it looks like, you, you can, like, characterize entire genomes of other organisms used in biological research, such as, like, mice, fruit flies, flatworms. And most organisms have many similar or homologous genes with similar function, function, functions. Functions. What's the function? But so this Conjunction has the, function. <laughs> what's, what's your, your function? function? <laughs> okay. If you, if you know what's going on with flatworms, you can potentially explain what's going on with human beings, right? Well, also, is would that be to, like, there are weird properties about a flatworm. Could we maybe include those in a human? Oh, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. It seems okay. like it's more like trying to understand different outside effects and how they affect the genes. So okay. that it's mostly for like biomedical research. That's what it seems like, as opposed to trying to create like flatworm people. Mm -hmm. Having this essentially complete sequence of the genome is similar to having all the pages of a manual needed to make a human body. <laughs> yeah, so of okay. course, the challenge okay. now is to how to read the pages and understand how the parts work. You can We got the book. We yeah. don't know how it's to read it. It's like the handbook for the recently deceased, yeah. right? Like <laughs> It's like stereo week. instructions. You got to decipher it. You got to baby bird it. That's yeah. what we're here for. So <laughs> this will eventually enable medical science to develop diagnostic tools to better understand health needs of people on an individual basis, right? Uh -huh. What is going to work specifically for you, Jeff, mm -hmm. based on what's going on with your fucking genome, right? Right. So like they can design new treatments for disease, that kind of thing. We can learn about risks of future illnesses based on DNA analysis. This might mean like diet or lifestyle changes. It might mean medical surveillance, that kind of thing. So like mm. Understanding on the molecular level how diabetes, heart disease, schizophrenia, mm -hmm. how these occur, we could potentially see like a whole new generation of not only preventative medicine, but like diagnostic tools and that kind of thing. Well, yeah. when you get into the preventative medicine, you get start getting into some really gray areas. Yeah. Because you're starting to choose your baby's DNA to mm -hmm. not include certain diseases. All right. 
We, mm-hmm. I'll go with you there. Right. We talked about that on Gattaca, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like in Gattaca, it's like, how far do you take that? Mm-hmm. You're choosing the DNA structure of your child. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up with legislation that basically says you can remove diseases and negative things, but choosing... I don't well, know like, where we're going to we, land. It's like a very fine line between like trying to prevent diseases and like eugenics. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like with this in particular, it sounds like for the at least the immediate future, it's more with regard to drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, that so kind that of thing. like this drug will be more effective for this. Exactly. Genome. Mm-hmm. So like most new drugs based on the completed genome are still 10 to 15 years out because it usually takes like a decade or more for like the FDA. To yeah. I mean, you're going to want to make sure you understand like, long term side effects. Clinical trials. You can, mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. But like as of now more than 350 biotech products many of which are based on genetic research are currently in clinical trials according to the biotechnology industry organization well that's cool i mean i guess yeah we're at the time where those should start becoming on the market yeah based on when the genomes yeah happened but at the same time i don't mind taking a blood test and being like you seem to be prone to blink 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 disease you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and like these are the ways that we could prevent these hopefully whatever yeah on an evolutionary level though it's sort of like yeah, I don't want to be insensitive, but it's like disease, death, these are part of life, no? Well, I g- yeah, but just thinking about what they do evolutionarily, effectively what disease is doing is that evolution is trying to take the steps that we would take in the genetic mm-hmm. modification process. Right. So like over a million years, as we develop an immunity to a disease, mm-hmm. we our genes would change to incorporate that, but right. we're just skipping that time that evolution would take and just doing it ourselves. Yeah, basically. So is it moving it or is it just speeding up the evolutionary process like by millions of years? Gosh, I just don't even know. I believe in the checks and balances of nature, right? right? Like right, I believe right. like it's like, you know, the fucking pine beetles or whatever, right. they get frozen out hopefully eventually and they die out. They like eat the trees during the summer and then they get frozen out right, during the winter. Right, there's a balance like, there's no, that's happening. There's no balance if we're like no disease will ever bring right. us down. Well, that's the, the same, whole, we've talked right. about overpopulation, like right. with Soylent Green right. episode and stuff like that. So it's like, I think that's my internal dilemma all the time where mm-hmm. I'm like, well, and of course it's easy for me to, t- I'm like a healthy individual, knock on right. wood for the time being. So I'm not saying like, I would really love more people to die of diabetes. Like that's not what I'm saying. Right. But I just think on a bigger picture, if I'm looking at human beings as organisms, as opposed to like peeps that I love. It's just, that's where it gets a little bit dicey for me too. It's even like 5% of the annual budget of the Human Genome Research Institute is dedicated to examining ethical, legal, and social implications related to human genome research. Okay. As of now also, apparently private companies have filed thousands of patents on mm-hmm. human genes over the past several years. I have way more of an issue with that right. than preventative <laughs> medicine. The idea of someone like... Owning using, genes. Yeah, fucking owning yeah. genes, man. Well, we were talking about that because I brought up this guy, J. Craig Venter, mm-hmm. who was actually the lead on the Human Genome Project okay, through okay. the 90s and now owns this company. Right. And they have created the first man-made artificial cell with the DNA that they've created. Right. And I was telling you about how like they encoded their names into the DNA mm-hmm. as kind of like a signature sure. and as kind of like a copyright right. for that DNA. And ugh. yeah, ugh. but that same company is partnering with ExxonMobil to create bacteria that right. release, you know, better gases mm-hmm. for cars. And mm-hmm. and they're also working on vaccines and getting vac- flu vaccines out right. in a matter of days instead of months. I mean, I don't know. Every day I'm like, who are we? What is our purpose? And it's <laughs> yeah. like there's so much value to like understanding and then being able to control things. It's just then when you like 
fucking commercialize it. It just, I don't know. It kind of loses some of its luster for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, like on that front, you know, just reading a little bit about how cloning's affected the world since Dolly the Sheep. Right. Oh, Dolly the Sheep. Dolly the Sheep. It. Was that grade school for us? That was 96 that 96. Dolly okay. was born. Eight and then year. Dolly died in 2003 okay. from a pulmonary issue that was common among animals who were not given access to the outdoors. It's commonly thought that she died because she was a clone and that there was like some issue with the no, genetics. because she was fucking neglected. Right. Well, not neglected, but not allowed to, uh, full life. That's That's for me, sure. Yeah. I mean, or like kept in a fucking lab, most yeah, likely. Yeah, yes. certainly. Mm-hmm. But the impact on basic science has like surpassed expectations since then of cloning Mm. but the impact on society and daily life has underwhelmed and so like people when dolly was first cloned was like we're gonna be dealing with clones all the time i I remember even as i was like this huge fucking hullabaloo and then she just like fell by the wayside well not for the scientific community it like changed everything for them but yeah for daily life it hasn't seemed to have although now that viagen's on the market maybe like it's we're just speaking too soon on that front sure sure i did read do you know how she was named Parton? Yep, because yes! the sheep was made from breast cells. Oh, and, and Dolly Parton was, has big knockers. That's exactly Wow, it. that's really... I have a really good friend who's in a Dolly Parton cover band, and their band name is really? Doll Parts. And I just thought that was <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Was that's like, a great congratulations, name. Congratulations, girl. Doll Parts. Yeah. But. Wow. <laughs> Who's got famously huge tits? Dolly. Uh, Yeah, that's literally what they chose. Since then, she's been working nine to five until... (laughs) Ugh. Fuck, okay. Should have named her Jolene. (laughs) So, the movie opens on this weird football-like sport... And it turns out when the movie was released, this was a real sport called the XFL. Oh, right. Of course. A uh, football-like. Yes. Football-esque. <laughs> this sport lasted one season, and it is immortalized in this movie as being a huge deal in the year 2015. Who was behind? Was it like Vince McMahon or something? Vince McMahon. Oh, it was Okay, so it was a $100 million joint venture between the WWF. Not the World Wildlife Foundation, but the old WWF. Yeah, idiots. The wrestling one. I would love if Vince McMahon started working for the World Wildlife Fund. (laughs) That would be, oh my God. Turned over a new leaf. Synergy. Am I right? (laughs) So, yeah, it was with the WWF and NBC, and they billed themselves as the anti-NFL. And basically, it was football with fewer rules, and they encouraged rougher play. Ugh. And helmets? They had helmets, okay. but like if football was taken over by wrestling, like sure. it, it really and appropriately, the WWF was involved. They had teams like the Los Angeles Extreme, spelled X T R E M E. Of course. The I San think. Francisco Demons and the New York Hitmen. Oh, boy. Uh, but which is interesting because it's like. You know, professional wrestling is notoriously fake and right. phony, and like it's all performative. Well, I like my brother goes on rants about how it's like the most beautiful art form of all. <laughs> no, no, no. There's something to be said for it, but it's like it's not seen as like good sports. No, no. And that was one it's of the play. things that yeah. killed the XFL because like NBC had committed to airing two seasons of it, and it only aired one season of it. The game was described as a splendid football game with a good deal of tomfoolery around the edges. Oh boy, that Some sounds of- like the Dangerous Sports Club guys. It does. It does. Tomfoolery. Well, some of that tomfoolery included women frolicking in a hot tub behind the end zone, players with nicknames on their jerseys like Big Daddy and He Hate Me, quote, enough scantily clad cheerleaders to assure television won't lose its jiggle just because Baywatch is going off the air. I just need to throw up. 
it was billed as Smash Mouth football. I mean, I guess, can I say I'm happy that it only lasted one season? Yeah, I mean, it did have like an, a good premiere, but within yeah. four weeks, nobody was interested in this. Because people are like, but we already have football. Like, can we... Well, this was like, they were trying to get back control of football in this weird way because like it wasn't a franchise league the way like each individual football team in the nfl is owned by a different owner this was like the whole league was owned by nbc and the wwf sure sure, okay but like part of what made it fail was that no real sports commentators took it seriously right. and when they were talking about it like actual sporting <laughs> like, events they'd be like and on this big bullshit daddy. <laughs> yeah exactly big daddy yeah. really went for the goal <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. Rest in peace, XFL. There's like weird identification processes in this film, including fingerprinting stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to do a dive on fingerprinting. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Let's do a little drive-by history, shall we? Let's go all the way back between 1000 and 2000 BC. Long time ago. Fingerprints were used on clay tablets for business transactions in ancient Babylon. Really? That's right. They knew that it was a part of you. They didn't know about like the whorls and the arches and all of this (laughs) kind of shit. So then jumping forward to the first century AD, there's like a petroglyph located on a cliff face in Nova Scotia that depicts a hand with exaggerated ridges and finger whorls. Hmm. So it was like they were starting to appreciate it, I guess? I'm not quite sure. So 14th century AD, a government physician finally made the observation that no two fingerprints were exactly the same, Hmm. right? So let's jump even farther. 1686, Marcello Malpighi. He's the professor of anatomy at the (laughs) University of Bologna in Italia. The University of Bologna? (laughs) That's right. Bologna. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. He was right. really univer- full of baloney. Full of baloney. <laughs> so he at this time, 1686, used the newly invented microscope for his studies. Did you know that the fucking microscope was invented in the 1680s or whatever? I guess that because that was, was when like the telescope was invented, right? Yeah. Like roughly around that era was when the... So I guess like all of this like lensing yeah. technology kind of came together at once. Right. I mean, and obviously... The- Clearly not as sophisticated as it is now, but I, I didn't realize it was that long ago. It was yeah. fucking nuts. But so Mr. Malpighi, he noted this like common characteristic of these spirals and loops and ridges and fingerprints. He even had a layer of skin named after him called the Malpighi layer. <laughs> okay. Just a deep part of skin, guys. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> then jumping forward a couple hundred years, 1858, Sir William Herschel noticed that, you know, no two prints were exactly alike. And he observed that even in widespread use, the fingerprints could be used for personal identification purposes. So then shortly thereafter, Dr. Henry Falds, he was like this British surgeon, and he studied what he called skin furrows during the 1870s after looking at fingerprints on pieces of old clay pottery. Then in 1880, he published an article in the scientific journal Nature where he talked about fingerprints as a means of like personal identification and using printer's ink as a means for obtaining these fingerprints. Mm. So he's also credited with the first fingerprint identification, which was just a greasy print left by a lab worker on a bottle of alcohol as... As was common back in the day. <laughs> was it a bottle of like chemical alcohol or was it like? Booze? Oh, I hope it was like like you know a wild turkey. Some wh- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I hope it was some SoCo. <laughs> so he sent this description of his fingerprint classification system that he'd created to Sir Charles Darwin. Oh. But Mr. Darwin at the time was super old and sick. And so he ended up sending those studies onto his cousin, who was a British scientist and was also studying these kinds of things. So this is his cousin's name is Sir Francis Galton. And he'd been studying fingerprints primarily to develop a tool for determining genetic history and hereditary traits and that kind of thing. But he was the first to provide scientific evidence that knew 
knew two prints were exactly like, as opposed to being like, I've observed. How that. did he provide that scientific evidence? Because um, I can't imagine he fingerprinted everybody in the world and was like, no, none of no two were alike. He like printed a book called Fingerprints in 1892, but he was able to calculate that the odds of two identical fingerprints were like one in 64 billion. Or okay. Like or, that. Oh, that I guess that makes sense that you can extrapolate numbers from a smaller yeah, set of data. Right. Right. He didn't, uh, yeah. They do that all the time, Jeff. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. So, but the, he was the first to really identify the particular characteristics like the loop, the whorl, and the mm. arch. And these are actually still referred to commonly as Galton's details. Oh. So he was like the father of modern fingerprinting characteristics. That's cool. But then it wasn't until 1892 when the first criminal of fingerprint identification was used. So an Argentinian woman named Rojas, she'd murdered her two sons and then cut her own throat to deflect blame from herself. And then Whoa. she left a bloody print on a doorpost. So after investigators were able to match the bloody print with her, then she confessed. Oh, she. Oh, so she cut her own throat a little bit. Right. Like when, oh, yeah. when you she said that, like, I was like, "I'm dead now." Yeah, I was like, "What a plan!" No, but to be like, obviously, oh, I didn't kill them because I too I was, was hurt also them. hurt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so then she confessed because she was like, what is that? So then shortly thereafter, there, there's this guy. He's a British official. His name's Sir Edward Richard Henry. He'd been living in Bengal at the time, and he instituted a fingerprinting program for all of his prisoners. So he developed a system that had over a 1,000 primary classifications. Now, within a year, the governor general signed a resolution directing that fingerprinting was to be the method of identifying criminals in British India. So then shortly after, Henry was transferred to England. So he began training investigators at Scotland Yard, mm -hmm. and Scotland Scotland Yard created a fingerprint bureau. So he like taught them how to dust for prints yeah. and, and pull them up and be able to notice the differences. That's yeah, really cool. Exactly. So within a few years, the Henry classification system was in use around the world. In a lot of English speaking countries today, it is still used. Criminals must have been shaken in their boots. Well, that must have been such a weird thing of like, they can just tell yeah. from because I touched something. Right, right. So another heavy hitter throughout this evolution, right, is this man, a Frenchman named... Alphonse Bertillon. I'm going to do that. That's yeah, how you a, say it. <laughs> I'm loving the anyway. accents. <laughs> So he was a French policeman and researcher, and he capitalized on the fact that each person's body proportions are different. This is what mugshots are, basically, right? Okay. So the Bertillon system, as it came to be known, was adopted by law enforcement agencies in Europe and North America and used for three decades. Basically, like, measuring your body, taking a picture of your face, this mm -hmm. kind of little superficial stuff. But then... In 1901, there was a man named William West who began a life sentence in the Leavenworth, Kansas penitentiary for murder. He had his face photographed, his measurements were taken, but then upon completion, it was noted that there was another inmate also named William West, who was already incarcerated at Leavenworth. He had the same name, had Whoa. the same Bertillon measurements, and bore a striking resemblance to Will West. What? Now, this incident basically called into question the legitness of the of the system, because it's like, well, these two guys, they have the same thing. There, there wasn't like a confusion about who was who? Was it like, well, this is two separate people who also right, committed it, crimes? It was definitely two separate people, but the story, it's still kind of a matter of debate. Some people think that they might have been twins or something, but okay. it basically basically became folklore amongst forensic scientists. Of course, lo and behold, a clerk took the fingerprints of both of them. They were two different people, blah, blah, blah. So then from then on, the Bertillon system was kind of falling out of favor mm -hmm. and fingerprinting was skyrocketing. Oh. 
And what's crazy is even though his system was fading from view, Bertillon himself was responsible for the first criminal identification of a fingerprint without a known suspect. The print was taken from the scene of a homicide and then compared against the criminal fingerprints that they just like had on file and they were able to make a match. Oh. So this was the, the next milestone. You Getting know, a database. Yeah, and having a fucking database. So this is all in 1901, 1902, right? So it's like this time is when it starts catching on. NYPD, New York State Prison System, Federal Bureau of Prisons began working with this new science. Eventually, the U.S. Army gets on board, U.S. Navy, Marine Corps. And so 1911 is when fingerprints are first accepted by U.S. courts as a reliable means of identification. Okay. Right? So a reasonably short amount of time that it became that yeah, widespread, right? Well, really quick, going back to the like similarity among people, mm -hmm. what is twins fingerprints are they the same identical twins that's a really good question i i honestly don't know identical twins have never been found with the same fingerprints wow so even up to present as far as we know so even identical fucking twins mm -hmm. are special delicate snowflakes yeah All i wonder if that's the case if you have a clone of yourself right i learned through my studies that fingerprints are a result of a struggle let me explain. Human skin has several layers and each layer has sublayers, right? So a developing fetus is constantly straining and stretching these layers mm. at the, as they're developing, which can snag on each other. Now, scientists oh. believe that fingerprints form when the bottom layer of the epidermis grows at a different rate than the rest of the skin, which causes it to buckle and tug on the dermis. So your fingerprints are made up of several skin layers twisted together, kind of like a soft serve swirl. Whoa. So, soft serve whirl. Yeah, whirl. <laughs> whirl. So, I mean, you know, you could clone a cell but they might stretch and grow right. and whatever in a different way than the other clones. So maybe because the have surrogate everything. mother moved differently or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Wow. Who knows, right? There's like these few non-human animals with unique fingerprints, such as gorillas, chimpanzees, and koalas. Koalas actually have fingerprints so similar to humans that even experts have trouble telling them apart. And this is suspected because you know koalas and and the great apes they live in trees. So mm. it's that same kind of struggle, like just holding on causes mm. the skin to grow in different right, like. I had it's never a, thought what a, what about a why a fingerprints are there, mechanism why we have how them, it's right? Made, yeah. And yet now we use it to fucking solve crimes. It's crazy. Why isn't that the case all over your skin, though? I guess, I guess you're pulling with your hands in a more fine-grained manner than Perhaps. you do with your... D there's definitely prints on your palm. Right. Which this. one's your love line? Right. And which one's your money line? Right. <laughs> Well, because like around this time, once they started using the fingerprints, like criminals started trying to intentionally remove their fingerprints. Mm. Notorious gangster John Dillinger, he burnt his own prints off with acid. This guy, Robert Phillips, who was a robber. They say robber. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> robber Robert yeah, Phillips. Yeah, fucking hamburglar. He talked a doctor into getting skin from his chest grafted onto his fingertips, but he neglected to remove his palm prints. So you can still like, you know, we have it all over our hands. We just think of like the common system now is mm -hmm. I think the two, your index and your middle finger, right? They yeah. also do thumbprints sometimes. Thomas Jennings was the first person to be convicted of murder in the U.S. based on fingerprint evidence. Okay. He, of course, appealed his conviction to the Illinois Supreme Court on the basis of questionable new scientific technique, right? This yeah, was in like you know. 1911. You're going to be like, you can't You know. can't be serious. Right. Now, fingerprints, it's yeah. all new. Right. So it was then that the Supreme Court in Illinois established the use of fingerprints as a reliable means of justification and he was executed in 1912 
So happy ending. Right, exactly. From then on, it just kind of fucking snowballed, right? So by even by 1946, the FBI had processed 100 million fingerprint cards, and that number doubles by 1971. Now, of course, the Fourth Amendment restricts the use of fingerprint collection to quote unquote reasonable identification of persons, but there have been cases of mass fingerprinting in the past. So in the present day, there are nearly 700 million individual fingerprints entered into this database. So FBI has both the criminal fingerprints and just like civil fingerprints <laughs> all together right. like in 2015 they they decided to just meld the two so it's like really? this weird fascinating thing of being like wow we're so we're able to like you know forensic science is great right but then it's yeah. also you have all of our shit on file they know everything about us yeah Fucking and nuts. also we post on facebook right <laughs> <laughs> apparently fingerprints are extremely durable so like even in death our fingerprints stick around which makes them very helpful in identifying bodies if for whatever reason you can't identify visually mm. or I, I i thought dental records were supposed to be but i also imagine it's hard to take a fingerprint from somebody whose body was like in water or something actually it was this anecdotal story i have so this wakeboarder hans Galas, he lost a few fingers in an accident while, mm. while he was wakeboarding and a human figure turned up in the belly of a trout. And sure enough, it, it was, was Galassi's. <laughs> yeah. So this is a quote from the story. Quote, if a hand is found in water, you will see that the epidermis starts to come away from the dermis like glove. Mm-hmm. If a hand has been badly damaged, I cut the epidermis off and put my own hand inside that glove oh, and God. try to fingerprint it like that. Ew. So like using his skin, fucking, you know, buffalo billing it, silence of the lab style, just like to be able to do that. And of course, after they were like, do you? Mr. Gloss, do you want your finger back? He's like, no. Yeah, I got (laughs) what I needed from it. (laughs) Quasi digested by a trout. Like, fuck off. However, what's crazy is like, you can actually, you can lose them if you do this rough tactile work like bricklaying and like certain chemotherapy drugs can make that erode or whatever unless you've done like severe damage over extended period of time usually sandpapering it down right for every single day okay flashing back a little bit to pets though Mm. apparently fingerprint sensors might work for your pets oh i've heard about that because i think people have used the phone to Mm -hmm. yeah they fingerprint with their dog's paw yeah the the iphone 5s 5S. iphone 5s in 2013 some tech crunch writer commandeered one of Mm. it when he used his cat's paw Mm-hmm. And it's not as reliable as a human fingerprint, but it was still able to open up. Yeah, and you can do it with your nose too. <laughs> Apparently, you it'll like it'll like read you the don't ridges, have ridges on your nose. arches, and whorls on your nose. But I guess the fingerprint sensor will read whatever is there, and will. I'm like, <laughs> please read my blackheads. Please read. <laughs> yeah, my black- exactly. <laughs> I wonder if that would fuck it up. Like, you get a zit. And you know, as crazy as the fingerprint was for just the new forensic science, right? The microbiome is now the new fingerprint. Like the whorls and loops of your fingerprints, uh-huh. the tiny ecosystems in and on your body are also yours and yours alone. Mm. It's kind of tying back in even into like the human genome shit. Like all of our shit is so unique to us. So this collection of bacteria and fungi and viruses and stuff, they make up your microbiome. If you're able to leave a fingerprint on something, surely you're able to leave some fucking microbial forensic mm-hmm. shit on there. Stuff that's been eating off of your body that's only like your thing. Yeah. And even it says right now like there's certain testimonies and stuff that's already been admitted to U.S. courts with regard to this kind of thing. Wow. But I mean, is that really that much more outrageous than hair follicles? No, it's... Semen, like all of the things. Any DNA that you can sequence and understand. Yeah, and... It's like, he sneezed on the weapon. Right. (laughs) And the other thing is, like, they do still hedge by being like, this is only 99.9999% accurate. There is a possibility that... As reliable as condoms, right? (laughs) Right. Well, actually more reliable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's 98. Whatever. I said that like I know from experience, yeah, but I, like, I, I don't. Whatever. I just Who know that it? it's like 97% yeah. or something. 
Who uses condoms? Am I right, guys? So in the movie, there's like a display on their fridge and it's like, you're low on milk, ordering more milk mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And this is real. What? Yep. Last year, Samsung and LG both announced refrigerators on the market, which have a bunch of technology in it to know the status of the fridge and it can connect to stuff like Fresh Direct to order you more. So it's got a bunch of cameras on the inside so that you can be like, how many beers do I have left right. in the fridge? Oh, let me check on my phone. Uh, oh, I've got three. I need to get more. The milk sits on a scale, and if the fridge realizes the milk is getting light, it'll order more automatically. You can order stuff on the touchscreen on the door, and because the door is a display, it can put up information that you might pin to a refrigerator, like photos of your kids or a shared calendar. Right. It can display recipes and stuff, or just mirror another TV in the house so you have like a TV in the kitchen. Ugh. This is, again, one of those things where I'm like impressed by the technology of that, mm -hmm. but I'm like... If you can't fucking open your fridge and see whether or not you need milk, you have bigger problems. I even think back to the remote control that we were talking about before. Like mm -hmm. the first remote control was called Lazy Bones. I'm like, this is the right. fucking epitome of Lazy Bones. <laughs> I mean, I kind of right. like the idea of something to be able to sense whether, like I like a Brita filter, right? I like right. a fucking filter to be able to tell me whether or not my, my water is going to be purified. Yeah, but to be like, do I need milk? I'm not going to get out of bed to check, you know? Well, or like, or it's like, should I pick up milk on my way home from work? Right. You're not at home. I'm not at home. My wife's not home yet. I just need to know if I should stop at the store on the right. way home. <sighs> okay. I mean, again, I'm not going to be like, you dicks. Like, but all I'm right. Like, I think it's awesome. I want one. <laughs> No, it's part of this huge thing that's going yeah. on called the Internet of Things, uh -huh. which is they're just trying to take every device that's electronic and make it smarter and right. more understanding of right. your life. Whether it's a smoke detector or a thermostat, knowing what you like to set it to when it's bedtime. Ugh. All of these things are just automating the things that you would do and understanding more about you and the way you live at home. 100%. I mean, and that that's what progress is, right? It's always right. building on the, the, the building blocks from before. Right. It's just, I mean, I guess what we've learned is like there is no end right. to that progress. No. No, Even if it isn't. feels like a kind of de-evolution. Well, the there's also stupid tech products. Right. I think there was a quote. I mean, you could merge a toaster and a refrigerator. It's not going to make something that's good. Right, like, right, exactly. You, you let each thing be true to itself right. sometimes. Then you end up as Rick Moranis and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And you're like, all these like crazy Rube Goldberg <laughs> yeah. machines. And you're like, all I want is a thing. Yeah, I just, just want to get some ice in my glass. Did you have any favorite lines? Yeah. Ooh. So for one, they accuse the bad guy. You mean the guy that looks just like carbon copy of any tech guy? Yeah, which is funny because he's a carbon copy of himself in the movie. He's a, he's a clone. Forgot about that. They're yelling at him like, you run Repet at a loss to get people used to the idea. Which I thought was a really interesting concept. Now that explain that. Basically, part of their overall cloning company is that company Repet. Mm -hmm. That what that indicates is that Repet is losing money right, for that right, company. Sure. And the reason that they still run Repet is not to make money, but to get the public used to the idea of cloning and sure. used to the idea of human cloning. Sure. So it's like this like psychological attack Absolutely. on society to get them used to the bigger thing. And that's kind of with everything, right? Like with every new thing, there's like this initial backlash because people are so uncomfortable with the thing and then you like normalize it. Google does this all the time right. where they like invade your privacy and overstep their bounds and then everybody freaks out about it and they go, oh, we'll not, we're not doing that. 
that yet. Exactly. And then they're more used to it than they were the day before, and they've actually made gains in taking looks into your privacy. I feel like, yeah, you've hit the nail on that social media head yeah. all over the place. Because you remember, like, Facebook privacy, no... Mm-hmm. And right. there's always, like, these new campaigns there's a backlash. people being like, how do you do that? And then two days pass, and people mm-hmm. are like, well... Well, this is the new normal now. Right. And so I thought that was really good. I love the, you know, this guy, like the fucking Steve Jobs prototype guy, yeah, yeah, just yeah. like soft spoken tech dude with glasses who's <laughs> just like, who well, he has um, the line, we won't have to lose our Mozarts, our Dr. Martin Luther Kings. I don't want to. Lo- yeah, of course. That's nice. I mean, it's a, it's a way to be like <laughs> super heady. But of course, he's the nemesis, right? right like, he's, he's the, the bad, bad guy. guy exactly. As opposed to being able to. OK, I had a couple of ones. Repet. Where love means no surprises. Oh, God. You're like, that's not what love means, you fucker. There should be some surprises. That is a terrible slogan. Right. Where love means nothing changes and your life is boring and the same. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's like, no, life happens. And you can try to control that all you want, but if you just let it go. It's still going to pee on the rug. That's a surprise. (laughs) You ate my favorite pair of shoes. (laughs) And then, of course, this is the PS de resistance. I might be back. Oh, yeah, he does say I might be back. <laughs> you can't escape a Schwarzenegger movie without a super winky Schwarzenegger He's moment. done a few movies where he specifically says, I'll be back. Oh, yeah, well, that I know. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I might be back being like, ah, <laughs> yeah, ah, See, I'm putting a twist on it this fuck time. you. <laughs> oh, God. I had a great time during this episode. Yeah, you? this was fucking great. Yeah, man. Next week, we're doing Anaconda. In the meantime. Rate and review us on iTunes, please. Yeah. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com, at ohthatsathing at gmail.com, and at ohthatsathing on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Twitter and Insta. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. In the meantime, think this shit over. If you have any thoughts, share them with us. Yeah, what are your thoughts on cloning? Message us on Facebook. Yeah. Post on something where on Facebook. Yeah, man. We're, <laughs> we're just trying to make sense of this crazy mixed up world, so yeah. help us out, man. Otherwise... You guys are beautiful. (laughs) Bye.